1: That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon.
0: Due to the graphic nature of this cult's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13.
1: A beautiful spring morning on a quaint side street in Lambeth, South London. Neighbors stroll past apartment buildings that line the cozy street. They pass a short, curly-haired man with an intense gaze, magnified by thick glasses.
0: He stands in front of his apartment building, smiling warmly to passersby, handing out red pamphlets that herald a communist revolution. Everyone on the street knows him. Aravindan Balakrishnan the communist who cheerfully tried to convince his entire neighborhood to
1: join his regime. But nobody ever noticed that as Balakrishnan stood outside his apartment, handing out pamphlets, a curtain in his apartment would move. A small, pale face would appear, only for a moment, before quickly fading from view.
0: She was one of seven women who lived in Balakrishnan's home, convinced she was held captive through mind control. These women spent their lives in terror, living mere feet from neighbors who could have helped them, but their screams were never noticed, as they were held as slaves for more than 30 years.
1: Hi, I'm Greg Polson.
0: And I'm Vanessa Richardson.
1: And this is Cults on the Parcast Network. Every Tuesday, we look at a cult's practices, their leader, and their followers. Today we're taking a deep dive into the Workers' Institute of Marxism, Leninism, Mao Zedong Thought, otherwise known as the Cult of Comrade Bala, a story of political idealism morphed into mental slavery.
0: At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network.
1: And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help us. We also now have merch. Head to parcast.com merch for more information.
0: You can listen to previous episodes of Cults, as well as all of ParCast's other shows, wherever you listen to podcasts. A new episode comes out every Tuesday.
1: The Workers' Institute began in 1974 as a high-minded endeavor meant to change the world. The Institute hoped to convince the blue-collar citizens of England to rise up against their capitalist overlords and join forces with communist China. The slogan was China's chairman is our chairman. China's path is our path.
0: At its height, the Workers' Institute could boast dozens of loyal followers. Although by the time membership dwindled down to seven, the communist collective had morphed into a terrifying, brutal cult.
1: It wasn't until 2013, when a couple of Balakrishnan's followers escaped his flat in South London, that the bizarre life they'd been subjected to would be revealed. Criminal charges would put an end to the institute that had gone from activist group to secret cult, in which members were literally enslaved.
0: This week, we'll zero in on cult leader Aravindan Balakrishnan, otherwise known as Comrade Bala. His mysterious upbringing, fraught political activism in Britain, and finally his descent into becoming a despotic, delusional cult leader.
1: Next week, we'll delve into the backgrounds of the all-female members of Bala's collective. We'll try to understand how they were lured in by political idealism, then manipulated into slavery through what they perceived to be a futuristic mind-control device. Aravindan Balakrishnan was born July 16, 1940, in Kerala, India. Kerala stretches along the Malabar coast of southwestern India. Today, it's known for its Ayurvedic treatments and beautiful beach tourism.
0: But Kerala in the 1940s was very different. It was known for rebellions, the most infamous of which was the Malabar Rebellion of 1921, a violent conflict that claimed over 10,000 lives.
1: Kerala's history was marked by the British exploitation of their international ports. Kerala had always been a shipping hub. But those trade profits were siphoned back to the United Kingdom through taxes and corruption. So the economy never benefited the locals. This
0: fraud environment likely caused Balakrishnan to form a negative impression of the UK and its form of government from a young age.
1: As the eldest son, Balakrishnan commanded the respect of his family. According to one of his followers, Balakrishnan's mother believed he possessed occult powers and warned him not to curse people when angry lest he cause their death. She nicknamed him Black Tongue.
0: As an adult, Balakrishnan, among other grandiose claims, would boast that he had the ability to set people aflame just by looking at them.
1: Vanessa's going to take over on the psychology here and throughout the episode. Please note, Vanessa is not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but she has done a lot of research for this show.
0: Thanks, Greg. According to psychologist Len Oakes in his book Prophet Charisma, The Psychology of Revolutionary Religious Personalities, this sort of unusual upbringing fits the mold for a future cult leader. Balakrishnan's mother basically told him that he had deadly superpowers. According to Oakes, this extreme adulation shields the child from reality so as to make them think the world exists solely to serve their needs. He calls this the early narcissism period that constant attention gives the child the sense that they're somehow sacred or divine
1: superpowers or not balakrishnan was a top student and clearly intelligent when he was 10 the family relocated to singapore which was then a colony of the united kingdom where his father served as a british soldier During the 1950s, Balakrishnan continued earning high grades during high school and later into the early 60s at the University of Singapore. While Balakrishnan was in school, the British Empire was collapsing around him. From 1954 to 1960, the people rioted against colonial authorities over a mandatory requirement to register in the British Armed Forces at age 18. Balakrishnan would later refer back to this period as the time of emergency. One of the leading protest groups was the Malayan Communist Party, which may have been his first exposure to communism.
0: Either way, Balakrishnan claims that after witnessing the cruelty toward the people of Singapore, he decided that Britain was fascist, even after Singapore later declared independence in 1965.
1: It's interesting that Balakrishnan felt such supposed hatred towards Britain, because in 1963, at age 23, he accepted a British consul scholarship to study at the prestigious London School of Economics.
0: It's a bit of a contradiction, but psychologist Len Oakes theorizes that after childhood, potential cult leaders go through an incubation period. They experiment with different roles in society usually nothing is good enough for them. Perhaps despite his hatred for Britain, Balakrishnan felt a scholarship to a prestigious university was fitting for his role as a genius worthy of praise and awards. In
1: 1963, he emigrated to the UK by ship. Once there, he immediately dove into the left-wing political environment of the London School of Economics, or LSE. A man named Ralph Miliband, one of the best-known academic Marxists of his generation, was a star lecturer at LSE. And communist protest groups were very popular.
0: It seems like this is where Balakrishnan began the next stage of his psychological journey towards becoming a potential cult leader, what Oakes would call his awakening. It's not, as the name suggests, a single moment, but more like a series of events in which the person finally finds what they believe to be their higher purpose.
1: For Balakrishnan, this developed through his exposure to classes and protests. People were apparently very drawn to him. He'd attend sit-ins on campus and outside government buildings and give energetic speeches about communism.
0: Balakrishnan was making a name for himself as a fervent believer and leader
1: among local left-wing circles. David Vipond, a communist at the time who saw Balakrishnan at meetings, described him as, quote, charismatic and dominant to not see himself as being one of the plebs. He saw himself as a big shot, end quote. When the Communist Party of Britain was founded in 1968, Balakrishnan was immediately made a senior member. From then on, he led countless gatherings to debate political theory and protest strategies.
0: Meanwhile, at the LSE, he studied Marxist communism, a political theory created by Karl Marx in the mid-1800s. Marxism advocates for a society in which all property is public and each person is paid according to their abilities. Balakrishnan also became involved in a subsect of communism called Maoism.
1: At that time, China had poor relations with the other communist superpower, the Soviet Union. Mao denounced the USSR, so Maoists followed suit. To them, the Soviets had strayed towards capitalism and lost their way.
0: Maoists thought that Chairman Mao and China as a whole would lead the world into the final stage of global communism. Compared to other forms of communism, which largely centered around workers' rights, Maoists were seen as extremists who wanted a military invasion to secure Mao's brand of communism worldwide.
1: The Maoists in London, like Balakrishnan, believed that Maoism would take hold in England and bring the entire country into the communist fold under Chairman Mao.
0: At the end of the 1960s, Balakrishnan ramped up his devotion to the revolution. In 1967, he abandoned studies at the School of Economics in order to pursue political activities full-time, writing leaflets, holding meetings, and starting protests. It was then that he started referring to himself as Comrade Bala in order to fully project his communist attitude.
1: Beyond that, he demonstrated some potentially cultish behavior to keep his comrades in line. Mr. Vipond recounted that Bala didn't hesitate to harshly criticize a member anytime they didn't serve as he expected them to, saying, quote, if you missed a meeting and said, I overslept, it was because of your bourgeois imperialist state of mind that you were following your self-interest and letting down the people, end quote.
0: Comrade Bala was definitely intense in all aspects. He idealized Chairman Mao and started every meeting with a dramatic clenched fist salute to him. To Bala, Mao's way was the only way because of the unique methods by which he totally overhauled Chinese society. In
1: 1958, Mao initiated the Great Leap Forward program that forced farmers to become industrial workers. History has shown that this actually devastated China's food production and caused millions of deaths by starvation. But clearly, Bala didn't know or care to focus on the details.
0: And on a personal level, Balakrishnan no doubt admired Mao's iron grip over his country. At that point in the late 1960s, Mao considered his power through the Cultural Revolution, which purged the country of anyone disloyal to the chairman and destroyed non-communist cultural heritage sites. Mao's power was absolute. And as we'll see across Balakrishnan's history, Bala cared more for power than anything else.
1: Bala would also preach about the inevitable revolution led by the workers to overthrow the Western fascist capitalist states. He likened it to the Lord of the Rings trilogy, a series that he particularly admired. Apparently, Bala always envisioned himself in the central role of the fantasy epic. A former follower once said, quote, In his mind, Sauron was like America and the West. There would be a war, and he would destroy them and become leader of the universe, like Aragon did." End quote.
0: Balakrishnan imagined himself as a superhero in the fight against the evil capitalist empire. Psychoanalyst Dr. Arnold Cooper explains that people like Bala have an extravagant sense of self-importance and often appear arrogant, exploitative, and entitled. Despite that, they can still come off charming.
1: In this political environment, Bala was definitely charming enough to keep an audience, albeit one that already wanted to support communism. As he led meetings through the Communist Party of Britain during the late 60s, Bala ended up mostly garnering fellow students from Singapore and Malaysia as his followers. They already felt wary of Britain's colonial legacy. It was a tiny group, a couple of dozen, among a small contingent of left-wing radicals that may have numbered in the hundreds. One
0: of Comrade Bala's most loyal supporters was Aisha Wahab. In 1968, she came to the UK at age 24 on a scholarship to study quantity surveying, a construction trade job. She ended up inspired by Balakrishnan's rhetoric instead.
1: Aisha was like Bala in a lot of ways a student from Southeast Asia who'd come to London on scholarship. She no doubt connected with his personal story, as well as his aims to topple imperialist Britain. Within the
0: same year she arrived, she gave up her career goals and joined his cause, devoting her time to his meetings and supporting his publications. Aisha later said, quote, I thought he was great to have been able to clarify our minds as to what to do with our lives, end quote.
1: Around 1970, another follower joined who was even more devoted than Aisha. She was a fellow LSE student named Chanda Putney. She was from India originally, like Balakrishnan, but grew up in Tanzania. After she joined his ranks, they became romantically involved. Little is known of their relationship in their early days, but Balakrishnan would go on to marry her in 1971. At the time, she was 25, while he was 31.
0: In the early 70s, Balakrishnan, Chanda, and his followers were still part of the broader communist scene in London. They were a small group devoted to Mao, with comrade Bala their lead interpreter and thinker.
1: But Bala was ambitious. He had a plan for creating his own collective that he believed would topple the British government. Unfortunately, it would ultimately morph into something far more sinister than anything his followers could have imagined.
0: Coming up, we'll talk about Comrade Bala's shocking transformation.
1: Now back to the story. After years of studying at the London School of Economics, Aravindan Balakrishnan abandoned his scholarship in order to gather his forces to end British fascist rule. In 1972, Balakrishnan decided his lifestyle should fully reflect his beliefs. So he and his wife moved to an area called Acre Lane in Brixton to set up an open living collective.
0: At this point, Balakrishnan was confident and full of potential. He was respected in the political community as a leading member of local communist organizations. But in 1974, at the relatively young age of 34, Balakrishnan decided to begin his own faction.
1: He called it the Workers' Institute of Marxism, Leninism, Mao Zedong Thought. It represented three communist heroes, Karl Marx, Vladimir Lenin, and Chairman Mao. Balakrishnan believed Marx and Lenin were responsible for creating the theory of communist government, while he thought Mao was the only one to successfully put it into practice.
0: Comrade Bala recruited members from the larger communist student circles of London, enticing them with a place to live in an otherwise expensive city. It wasn't free, though. Members who earned any wages had to donate their funds to cover the commune's expenses, rent, food, and the upkeep for their publications and flyers.
1: These funds also covered any of Comrade Bala's private expenses. Regardless, his intense commitment and adoration of Mao Zedong was effective in bringing in new recruits.
0: It was during that time, in the mid-1970s, that Bala had the most followers at any point in his history. Over 20 people lived in his collective, and dozens more participated in his protests. Many of them were university-educated, highly intelligent British women.
1: The place wasn't big. A small storefront space with a two bedroom apartment atop it. Upstairs was a communal living area where his core followers slept on the floor, with men in one room and women in the other. Downstairs, they opened a bookstore to sell red jacketed revolutionary literature and publish papers.
0: The year it was founded, Balakrishnan directed the Workers' Institute towards getting more attention. They covered his bookstore's windows with Chinese communist flags and festooned the inside with giant Mao posters, one of them 20 feet high.
1: Wherever his followers went, they carried Mao's red books and wore badges bearing his face. Even going to the market was a political act for the Workers' Institute, who wanted to spread awareness and pull in new believers wherever they could. A follower
0: later recalled the air of success Balakrishnan projected. Quote, Bala always came across as approachable and friendly. He would always stop you in the street and chat,
1: end quote. Bala Krishnan had everything he wanted, devoted followers, a collective catered to his ideals, and a means to get his message out there. But it seems Bala desired more than that. He felt he needed to differentiate his cause from the already well-established left-wing group of Britain.
0: Balakrishnan's roots were with the Communist Party of Britain, but he wanted the Workers' Institute to surpass their membership. They became his competitor. He wanted to become the communist leader in England.
1: Balakrishnan put pressure on the other groups by writing more aggressive rhetoric. Other groups theorized about communism in potential forms, while the Workers' Institute wrote about actually starting a revolution soon. Specifically, they wanted to encourage the Chinese government to invade Britain and install communism.
0: Towards the end of 1974, the very year the Workers' Institute became official, the other groups stopped communicating with him. They no longer wanted to be associated with radicals who actively encouraged a foreign invasion. To them, it was unrealistic and downright inappropriate.
1: Comrade Bao's response was to go even bigger and make a dramatic declaration in his publications. The Chinese Liberation Army under Mao Zedong was going to invade the imperialist West by 1980 and bring about the revolution. At this point in history, Russia, China, and the West had diplomatic tension, to be sure. The claim was
0: outlandish, but it fits with psychologist Len Oaks' analysis of extreme narcissistic personality disorders, writing, quote, the narcissist lives in a psychological world of his own creation, outside normal reality, end quote. So when reality doesn't conform to Bala's world, which ideally would have the Chinese invading England on his behalf, he just remakes reality.
1: Soon after this declaration, at the end of 1974, Balakrishnan and his Workers Institute were officially expelled from the Communist Party of Britain for breaching party discipline. The Communist Party accused them of, quote, "...conspiratorial and splittist activities and spreading social fascist slanders against the party and proletarian movement." End quote. They were essentially denounced as crazy.
0: First, Bala isolated himself from the London School of Economics. Then he departed from the same radical group that had helped him rise to power.
1: It wasn't a quiet departure either. With the help of his followers, Bala distributed leaflets far and wide, declaring his old party to be agents of imperialism. He started a rival publication called the South London Workers' Bulletin. It was written exclusively to denounce his former comrades. Rather than debate their theories, he rejected them outright and brought attention to any fault he could find in how they operated.
0: According to doctors Eve Caligore, Kenneth Levy, and Frank Yeomans, there are subtypes of narcissistic personality disorder. One of these subtypes is marked by grandiose and attention-seeking behavior. People of this category react histrionically, if ever criticized, and yet are commonly overlooked during mental assessments. It's likely Bala belonged to this subgroup and was dramatically overreacting to the Communist Party's criticism. He may have taken it more personally than we could ever imagine.
1: Going into the late 1970s, The Institute was interested in debating communist theory. Instead, it had turned into lectures, exclusively led by Comrade Bala. The few discussions consisted of parroting Mao's texts.
0: The group's ideas about a Chinese invasion were so extreme that they failed to reach new members. And because of their relatively small numbers, their protests didn't garner much
1: attention. In practice, they became a self-contained unit that few people outside of communist circles even knew about. And following the major schism with the communist leadership in 1974, a new sort of trouble began for Bala. This
0: time, it was the local police. The institute wasn't scaring them with protests or mass recruitment. It was their violent revolutionary rhetoric. They were viewed like a terrorist cell, few in number but with the potential for violence.
1: It wasn't long before the police started monitoring them closely, intermittently stopping by the storefront and surveilling their protests. If Bala didn't respond well to criticism from left-wing radicals, he definitely didn't like getting pressure from the fascist state.
0: In the late 1970s, Balakrishnan and some of his followers would be arrested eight times. We can't say what they were arrested for exactly. The alleged crimes are not on record. But it's safe to assume that the police wanted to bring balakrishnan in for any minor offense from loitering to incitement of violence as long as it stopped them from doing something potentially worse
1: things only escalated in 1977 when the singaporean authorities claimed that the workers institute was plotting to overthrow lee kuan yu singapore's leader at the time it's hard to know exactly what happened behind the scenes that led to this accusation But perhaps the Singaporean authorities, like the British police, were being safe rather than sorry.
0: Bala trafficked in political rhetoric that made governments nervous. It's possible that the British and Singaporean authorities read the Institute's publications more than any citizen Bala was trying to recruit.
1: The Singaporean government stripped Balakrishnan of his citizenship. That meant it would be impossible to deport him there. Though Balakrishnan hailed from Kerala originally, He did not have an Indian passport, probably because he left the country as a child before India declared independence and established a new government. It seemed England was stuck with him.
0: Whether intentionally or not, Bala was isolating himself from every previous stage of his life. The country he grew up in, the school that brought him to England, the communists who gave him a purpose. He alienated them all with violent rhetoric and refused to apologize for it.
1: Balakrishnan had turned himself into a man without a past and a strong vision for a communist future. And those who would be pulled into his vision would soon find themselves as equally isolated, with nowhere to turn for help.
0: Coming up, we'll look at how Comrade Bala took his workers' institute underground and grew into a crazed dictator in a world of his own making. Now, back to the story.
1: Entering the late 1970s, The Workers' Institute, under the leadership of Aravindan Balakrishnan, had continued to isolate themselves as they became more extreme in their beliefs. They wanted China to invade England immediately. They believed the revolution was at hand.
0: But signs were beginning to emerge that Balakrishnan was psychologically unraveling. He began fabricating stories that were, at best, unhinged. Once, he claimed to have narrowly avoided an assassination attempt.
1: Apparently, a neighbor revealed himself to be a fascist agent and attacked Comrade Bala with a new death ray type weapon. Bala supposedly fought back and chased him off. He brandished a scar on his chest to prove the whole thing. At the time, his loyal core of followers believed the story purely on his word, but one of them would later admit that the scar actually just looked like a large boil. This
0: sounds like Balakrishnan crossed a major psychological threshold. This extreme attention-seeking behavior fits with narcissistic personality disorder and conforms to Len Oakes' analysis of prophet behavior. Oakes writes, quote, Because the prophet has such a fundamental conflict with the world, such a precarious grip on reality, he must gain whatever leverage he can. A little success in his pursuit leads to a career path as a student of manipulative strategies, end quote. Bala fabricated the whole story in order to elicit sympathy and admiration from his followers. If he could convince people at the Workers' Institute that he was important enough to be assassinated, they'd continue supporting him. He may not have consciously thought about it as lying, rather a good story to shore up devotion. The really unsettling thing is that he'd later come to believe it as fact.
1: Balakrishnan's delusional behavior didn't go totally unnoticed. Records show that he was admitted to Albans Mental Hospital near London in 1974. After a short stay, he was released. He later lectured his brainwashed followers that he intentionally convinced the authorities he was mad in order to better understand England's fascist prison complex.
0: As with the assassination attempt, it's likely he was trying to turn lemons into lemonade. We can extrapolate that Balakrishnan was likely admitted to the mental hospital for legitimate behavioral concerns. Once released, he lied to his followers to give the appearance that he was in control. It seems lying was just the easiest way for him to
1: maintain his leadership. In terms of his mission, Bala was still dead set on creating a communist base of blue-collar London workers so as to encourage a Chinese invasion. But it wasn't long before things took a truly unplanned turn. In March 1978, not long after the Singapore debacle, the Workers' Institute was raided by officers claiming they were looking for drugs.
0: Balakrishnan was 38 at the time. It's hard to say whether the police had any solid proof to justify the search or if they were just so wary of the Institute's violent rhetoric that they planned a preliminary strike.
1: The members immediately fought back. There was a huge brawl within the bookstore. Reportedly, Comrade Chanda, Bala's wife, nearly lost her eye in the violent confrontation.
0: Eventually, the members were subdued. The authorities found no contraband anywhere, Regardless, nine members of the group, including Bala himself, were sent to prison for assaulting police officers during the raid. Really, they gave the cops just what they wanted, an excuse to take them off the streets of South London.
1: At their trial, Balakrishnan and his cronies refused to recognize the authority of the court. When called to the stand, they shouted, Long live Chairman Mao, death to the British fascist state. The whole lot of them were imprisoned for several months in 1978.
0: The incarceration changed something in Balakrishnan and pushed him over the edge. Being locked up altered his plans to achieve revolution and destabilized his already fragile mental state.
1: First, he said he was going to purge the organization of all the men who had filled in as leaders during his absence.
0: Just as the Institute had driven away the other communist groups because they were competitors, Comrade Bala, no doubt, wanted to eliminate any competition from within. He explained away the decision in a bulletin, quote, The comrades leading our squads are all women. The new world can only get built with new women, end quote. It seems Bala was co-opting the feminist struggle for his own ends. He implied that women must not let men lead them any longer. Ironic, considering he was always their true leader.
1: The second big change was that they were going to go completely underground to escape the attention of the fascist state. From then on, the Institute operated in secret, frequently moving houses around areas of South London like Clapham and Lambeth. They had already lost followers as a result of their jail time. Membership continued to decline because of the constant relocation. By 1980, the sixth year of the Institute's existence. The group only consisted of seven followers, all women.
0: Kathleen Taylor, a doctor of cognitive neuroscience, analyzed the stages of how cult leaders secure their grip on the minds of their followers. First is isolation, to put the recruits in a new environment where the leader has more
1: control. Balakrishnan enforced that isolation by moving them to a new house telling them to avoid public means of communication, and commanding them to sever ties with their families, who he had branded fascist agents. By 1981, the Institute was totally off the map, politically or otherwise.
0: Next, according to Dr. Taylor, is control. The cult leader's strategy is to weaken old beliefs and distract the recruits with new belief systems. Bala started to morph his philosophy from the left-wing political into the pseudo-religious. There were new beliefs that centered entirely around his existence and supposed powers. It may not have even been a conscious change on Balakrishnan's part, but a subconscious reaction to his sense that he was losing control. If he was going to retain those seven women, he needed to ramp up the stakes.
1: Not only was a communist revolution going to happen, according to Bala, but he would now be the world leader and begin a new global society. Before that could happen, his followers needed to cleanse themselves of bourgeois culture and impure thoughts. One of his followers described the new instructions, quote, Our brains, they were dirty. They had to be washed of all ideas. When you want to build a new world, you can't bring the old into it. So we had to chip away the old and fill the void with new ideas, end quote.
0: As his seven precious followers fell firmly into his grip, Bala seemed to dive down the rabbit hole towards maximum despotic control. Dr. Taylor describes the next step of successful brainwashing as uncertainty. The cult leader targets former beliefs to create constant uncertainty in his followers, so they in turn must always look to him alone for instruction.
1: Bala Christian got both creative and absurd in this respect. He convinced his devotees that their fascist enemies could send harmful waves through the telephone, so they were never to use it without his permission. They were encouraged to never speak aloud, lest the fascists were listening. Instead, they were told to communicate by written notes whenever possible.
0: They weren't allowed to leave the house except in pairs because they would now face violence everywhere they went. Even more shocking, he told them that the Chinese were on the verge of an invasion and that the Chinese military already had minuscule satellite technology that could monitor everyone's speech and thought. So their thoughts had to be in keeping with everything he had taught at all times.
1: At this point in the early 1980s, these women had been following Balakrishnan for a decade. They bought into his ideas. The experience of being incarcerated led them to trust him more than the police or anyone else for that matter
0: he'd make them sing songs to celebrate his existence on certain dates october 16th the day of his conception and july 16th the day of his birth these dates apparently correlated to significant world events historical moments like the splitting of the atom, the moon landing, even the storming of the Bastille years before he was born, were all linked to him in
1: some way. Comrade Bala always got first servings of food. He was to be greeted respectfully whenever seen. No one could enter a room he was in without knocking and receiving permission first, and one had to give Bala continuous unbroken eye contact, as long as they were talking to him, as a sign of respect.
0: The absurdity of these commands stemmed from his utmost need for respect and adulation. In the wake of the communist protests and rallies of the 1970s, Balakrishna needed to make up for all the attention he wasn't getting anymore. He wasn't giving speeches in front of crowds and had to compensate by creating more and more intense demands of his followers.
1: Accounts from within the cult let us know that he not only idolized Marx, Lenin, and Mao, but other strong male leaders responsible for millions of deaths. Stalin, Pol Pot, even the non-communist Iraqi leader, Saddam Hussein. Bala's followers were never allowed to criticize these men.
0: Len Oakes, writer of Prophets' Charisma, posited that the next stage of the Prophets' rise after early narcissism, incubation, and awakening is mission. The Prophet feels totally empowered at this stage. He feels, quote, able to demonstrate on a daily basis his extraordinary abilities. The Prophet's needs may only be satiated in the literal abuse, either physically, mentally, or both, of the very people he claims to love." End quote.
1: By all accounts from his remaining followers, it was during this time that Comrade Bala began committing serious physical and mental abuse.
0: Perhaps it was because the group was isolated enough that he felt he could get away with it. More likely, he decided fear was the best way to control his followers. His charisma was no longer needed.
1: While some of the devotees left to work day jobs to support the Workers' Institute, the ones who stayed home needed to be at Comrade Bala's every beck and call. He mentally abused them to keep them close. One young woman's father had committed suicide a few years before she went off the grid. Bala told her it was her fault that he died. Only by cleansing her soul through following his ways could she redeem herself.
0: This eventually accelerated into full-on sexual abuse. He claimed that he was cleansing them of their bourgeois nature and that his semen was the elixir of life. If any of them tried to deny his advances or stepped out of line for any reason, he would beat them.
1: Bala convinced them if they disobeyed him, catastrophes or even their own deaths would ensue. He called his beatings the good struggle because he claimed he was battling their internal negative forces.
0: The rest of the members looked on dutifully while one of them was beaten. Bala would claim that he was a gentleman forced to commit these acts. Look how you've hurt me, he would cry as he beat these women.
1: At one point in 1986, he told his followers that the space shuttle Challenger exploded precisely because they had been challenging him a tenuous connection to be sure, but they believed it, and were terrified. To Bala's followers, the blood of those innocent people was on their hands.
0: These unbelievable mind games all culminated with one final claim to power. Its name was Jackie, J-A-C-K-I-E, which stood for Jehovah, Allah, Christ, Krishna, and Immortal Eshwaran. The last of these was a scholar and spiritual teacher from Balakrishna's birthplace of Kerala, India.
1: Jackie was some sort of invisible computer satellite that only Bala could interact with. It was a mind control machine as well. Jackie came into play around the early 1990s and would be a major factor in the cult's existence for decades to come. By then, the seven members had been part of the Workers' Institute for 20 years.
0: Any follower who believed in Jackie lived in a constant state of terror. Comrade Bala claimed it was capable of killing them if they disobeyed him or even thought bad thoughts. Eventually, Bala's political theories devolved into a very simple binary, me versus them.
1: He preached to his followers that he was the rightful leader of the world, but was fighting against the vague conspiracy of a shadow world government, always watching, always listening but he gave no specifics about what comprised this government.
0: Comrade Bala used this global state of terror to control the few followers he had left for years and years after they went off the grid. Anything bad that happened, like his teeth beginning to rot after years of not going to the dentist, was blamed on his fellow comrades. Their disobedience always, somehow, allowed the shadow government to win.
1: It seems his followers rarely left their house as a result. It was like they were living in a ghost world under Bala's command.
0: Psychologist Len Oakes refers to the mission stage of the prophet's rise and the constant side effect, paranoia. This was clearly a defining aspect of Comrade Bala's psychology. The final stage, as Oakes concludes, is the downfall, which is usually caused by excessive demands from followers who eventually snap. Excesses like demanding constant eye contact and doing any chore he demanded at any hour, day or night. It was an environment Bala worked hard to maintain going into the 2000s.
1: This illogical state of control was going to put Comrade Bala on a collision course with reality. By this point, he'd avoided it for nearly 30 years. But even the best laid plans go awry.
0: Next week on Cults, we'll explore the backstories of the seven fated followers of Comrade Bala, where they came from, how they served the cause of the Workers' Institute, and ultimately, how they became utterly brainwashed and served as Bala slaves for nearly three decades.
1: When the world would finally learn of Comrade Bala, they would be shocked and horrified by his cruelty, his followers' captivity, and perhaps most shocking, The revelation that for 20 years, Bala had hidden a daughter. She had never spoken to anyone outside the Workers' Institute. However, despite her imprisonment, she would not only survive, she would be her father's downfall.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to Cults. We'll be back with part two of the Workers Institute next Tuesday.
1: You can find more episodes of Cults, as well as all of ParCast's other podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcast directory.
0: Several of you have asked how to help us. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review.
1: And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast, and Twitter, at Parcast Network. We'll see you next time.
0: Cults was created by Max Cutler and is a production of Cutler Media and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Cults is written by Eli Edelson and stars Greg Polson and Vanessa Richardson.